afternoon and welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jasmine and this week I'm here again with Reese and Matthew. How are y'all doing? Pretty all right for a Saturday. It's sunny, it's not raining, I cannot complain. Yeah, the weather is really nice right now and I think I'm going to go run after we finish recording today. Uh, it is oh it's great. Matthew, when you talk about you're going to run, I get scared. It's a good thing. Why? Because Matthew is the road runner. Okay, he will leave you in the dust. Like I was like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to run too. Like can we? He's like, you can't run with me. <laughs> I do it. I do it for everyone's own protection. I run by myself for a reason. I, I, I don't want to start fights or lose friends, so I run by myself. He goes out, and it's a trail of bodies that he's run over. <laughs> Wow. I'm racing everybody on the street. I need to get back into it. It's been a while, but the weather, the weather is motivating me. That's good. Yeah, I'm actually going to go to a festival at the beach today, so I need to see the ocean, which oddly enough, people in LA don't see the ocean very often, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. cool. Now, what's the point of being out there? I know. <laughs> you know, I feel you. I ask myself that every damn day. <laughs> well, LA is really big too, you know, so. True, Yeah. All right, so we are recording this on Saturday, March the 18th. You're listening to it for the first time on Sunday, March the 19th. And again, on the rebroadcast, Monday, March the 20th, the year is flying by. Um, So for this week's episode, I will be talking about a local news story. Um, National Grid's bid for new vaporizers uh, has recently been rejected by the state's Public Service Commission. Uh, Matthew, for our national news story, we'll be talking about a secret working group that's been pushing anti-trans laws across the U.S. And Reese will be giving us um, an update for a world news story about American citizens that were kidnapped and some of them killed um, in Mexico. So I will start out with the local news. Uh, This was written in greenpointers.com by Emma Davey on March the 16th. The title is National Grid's Bid to Add New Vaporizers to Its Greenpoint Facility Rejected by State's Public Service Commission. After a lengthy study and public comment period, the New York State Public Service Commission announced today, um, that's the 16th, that the two new vaporizers that National Grid planned to add to its Greenpoint facility were not currently necessary ultimately thwarting the energy conglomerate's plan to get cost recovery from its customers. The commission's decision falls in line with the recommendation made by an independent assessment study last year. This study found that the vaporizers were not yet needed, though the project may have, may, might have more relevance in a few years, depending on natural gas demand. This is welcome news to several local community groups who vocally opposed the project from the start. The commission notes that they received over a thousand comments concerning the vaporizers. Uh, and another article said they received about 1,200 uh, comments. Our community has spent more than three years demanding that state agencies do their job, said Kim Frazek, director of SANE Energy Project, which filed a lawsuit along with New York City Housing Authority's Cooper Park Resident Council against New York State and National Grid over the proposed project. 
we must take serious action on climate and prioritize our community's health and economies and our ecosystem over the profits of CEOs and shareholders. We will escalate if National Grid tries this again. We will stop this toxic company once and for all and move New York to renewable public power for everyone. National Grid has claimed that the two new vaporizers, which house liquefied natural gas, or LNG, are needed to meet demand on the coldest of days. But they also noted during a hearing last September that the vaporizers would essentially act as a backup for the six vaporizers already present. While National Grid won't be able to make back everything it has spent so far, the commission noted that the Brooklyn Union Gas Company, a subsidiary of National Grid, could recover the $10.5 million in design, in design, engineering, permitting, and the costs of the independent consulting company, but not the remaining $38.8 million and other costs incurred to date. Now, the State's Department of Environmental Conservation, or the DEC, must make a final decision regarding the project's air permit. Considering the DEC's chronic delay in their decision-making, they've postponed their decision six times since National Grid first applied for a permit in May 2020. It's high time that the agency weighs in. Uh, So just to note that the point of the vaporizers is it takes liquefied gas and turns it into vapor. Uh, Some time ago on this program, it was our uh, October 11th, 2020 episode, uh, we had Lee Zeshi from the No North Brooklyn Pipeline Project um, do a long interview with us. And she did a good job of explaining, like breaking down, like what were the community's objections to this project and the concerns about like air pollution and other things. So, you know, we still have to see what happens as far as a final decision. But, you know, I was happy to see this in my inbox. You know, it's some positive news for a change. And it's, you know, regular people getting together and saying, hey, wait a minute. We don't want this. And we certainly don't want you to force us to pay for this. Like, what's going on? And to see that, you know, they actually were able to get some kind of a victory. It was uh, it was a good feeling. So good for them. So I'm not as familiar with this uh, concept, the um, the vaporization of liquefied natural gas, that was just, and then that just gets pumped into the air. Um, was that part of what it was going to do? I think the problem was that there was, um, like, there's going to be inevitably some amount of air pollution. So like they wanted to get like a permit to allow for less restrictive air pollution permits so that the project could go forward. But people in the neighborhood were like, no, like we do not want to loosen the restrictions in our area to allow this to go forward. Yeah, it's um, it's feeling very um, deregulation of like the railways that we're seeing with all these derailment and stuff of like pulling back the regulations that are put in place to try to protect us, um, uh, like nuclear powered stuff. And like, sure, there's great output from this like uh, energy source, but what are the ramifications of using said energy? Um, but like, it's all based in money. They want money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very scary, but yeah, I'm glad that the public comments really went through. Um, 
unfortunate that it takes like a lot of footwork um, to get like 1200 comments. But I mean, I'm glad they listened and got the community out there to voice their concerns. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it shouldn't have taken so much. Obviously, this was something that a lot of people were opposing. And, um, you know, these type of things should, when they make decisions like this, it should definitely be for the betterment of people and not business or not any other reason. Um, And I'm glad that people were able to come together. That just goes to show, like, you know, that's how people have gotten things done historically banded together, not, you know, taking no for an answer. I think a lot of times some issues don't get uh, resolved because people get tired. You know, they get tired of fighting all the time and trying to make shit make sense for people who already know it makes sense. But this is just, just goes to show that, you know, that type of pressure is necessary for us to get the results that we need for our safety, for our children. Um, and overall, when is something that will harm us or not be for the betterment of our communities? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I know personally, just especially since COVID hit and everything, um, my social life doesn't look the same or like I, I tend to go to work and then I come home like I'm not really out and about as much as far as, you know, going to bars or like different events and stuff. And for me, one of the side effects of that is being a little more aware of stuff that happens locally or thinking like, well, what is my community board talking about? Or what is city council trying to pass? You know, and it's, I wish I had gotten more into that stuff like earlier, but it is kind of intimidating because, you know, I'm not going to lie, like the way Matthew was like, I'm not familiar. It's like a lot of this stuff can be confusing or intimidating to understand, or there's so much red tape and bureaucracy that sometimes people don't really take the time to like break it down or get what's happening. So I, you know, it really took a lot of work, like y'all were saying, like to get so many people to comment, to get involved, to understand what the project is, what it's going to potentially do to the environment. Because, you know, I think, have y'all seen in the news that like Biden has okayed going ahead with um, drilling in Alaska, like the Willow project? Yeah, I think there, and I, I think I saw something that said like he put some restrictions on like the Arctic Circle or something, but it that won't last. Um, it's just, we are at a time in our life that we understand that fossil fuels are harming the planet like and the going after these resources are like futile and it's just relentless like we should be in renewable sustainable energies like you were reading in the article like it mentioned um we have the means but the people in power and the people with the money are just unwilling to like stop the pursuit of this um it's very scary uh yeah jensen i agree like it's like i'm someone who is pretty like i'm online pretty often i read a lot of news or try to at least um but even like this within our own neighborhoods and boroughs i was not aware like it's just something that didn't come across my radar um but it takes a lot of sharing and like a lot of these things that you bring to forefront for me are very important too i'm like oh i didn't know that um yeah, it's it's important to stay connected to your local uh, community because these things will happen. 
And also, I mean, I think there's just like a lot of distractions, right? Like it's life is hard enough. Life be lifing, you know, like all the yeah. time. And it's a lot of distractions that take us away from the things that matter the most. Um, and just really, I think as I'm getting older, something I'm noticing is that, you know, that whole part of life when, when you are distracted by things that don't matter kind of dies when you're getting older and you have to care about your health more. You have to care about all these other things, uh, sustainability of your life for a longer period. And, you know, one thing I hope that, you know, millennials and Zers, right, because um, I guess we're millennials, well, I'm a millennial, myself, uh, we're millennials. Okay, just making sure because I I'm learning to accept it. I swear, for many years I was like, no, I'm an Xer, and now I'm just like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 82, 82 is question. My mother is Gen X. You are not in Gen X. Look, maybe it's my spirit. I- <laughs> we're not too bad. <laughs> we are. Look, I'm I'm accepting. I'm learning. But what I'm saying is, we have access so much more information and, and so much um so much more access to public officials that you know historically it was very hard to uh get this information you know all of the change makers that were our parents and our parents parents they didn't have nearly as much access as we do to information uh, public hearings meetings you know things like that and they still got the work done you know so one great thing about podcasts and just things like that, it really does bring things to the forefront. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to come back to the show, because I feel like if you don't go seek the information, if you don't take the time, it's not a part of your life, you will simply just miss the shit and then just be caught up in the rapture of it, you know? So shout out to the people who fought for this because it's really important work. Yeah, for sure. And like I, like you're mentioning distractions a lot, all of that is very deliberate. And the destruction of local news throughout the country where you have more and more of these big um, companies that are eating up local newspapers where people don't, they might see the big headline about something on the national level or something that's a world story, but they don't know what's happening down the block from them. And that's on purpose because, you know, all the people who used to be dedicated to, you know, that was their beat. What's happening in the environment? What's going on with the air? in this little area, a lot of that stuff has disappeared. It's been smothered. And a lot of the people who are really committed to paying attention and knowing what's up and they do understand sometimes like they can be concentrated in certain groups that are like, they might be older and not really that invested in the future or like they might have like negative or, you know, shady intentions but because they show up and they know what's going on they get their way and then a lot of the other people that are just struggling to get by day to day their voices aren't being heard so yeah it was a great um example of local activism across ages across generations different people of different races coming together and saying no we don't want this poisonous stuff and from what i'm reading it seems like They were arguing that, oh, this is necessary, but it turned out to be like, well, they had to admit that it was mostly going to be backing up something that already existed and might only be used a couple times a year. It's like, okay, so what's the big need for it then? You know, and then God forbid the thing should blow up or something, then what? You know, so good on them for staying on top of this and we'll keep you updated as the story progresses, so... Hopefully it's dead for good. 
keep asking questions, people. Like, and that's the important part. Like, keep asking. Make sure that's necessary. Um, and it's hard to do daily work and get through life, like y'all were mentioning. And like, yeah, kudos to these people for taking their time uh, to get it uh, defeated. Hopefully. Yeah, for sure. We need fossil fuels. We need to get off of them ASAP. Not maybe someday. We have to do it like yesterday. Um, So you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is Fiona Apple from her 2020 album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. This song is I Want You to Love Me. We'll be right back. Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Matthew with the National News Story. Okay, this article uh, is from Mother Jones. Uh, it was published March 8, 2023 by Madison Pauley. The title is Inside the Secret Working Group that Helped Push Anti-Trans Laws, uh, laws Across the Country. Leaked emails give a glimpse of the religious right networks behind transgender healthcare bans. 
Um, I'm going to read a portion of this article. It's pretty lengthy and, and detailed, um, and you should go read it um, in length because it gives you access to the emails that were actually leaked. Um, and here it is. On a Saturday afternoon in August 2019, South Dakota Republican State Representative Fred Deutsch sent an email to 18 trans activists, doctors, and lawyers with a text of a bill he planned to introduce that would make it a felony for doctors to give transgender children under 16 gender-affirming medical care. I have no doubt this will be an uphill battle when we get to session, Deutsch warned the group. As always, please do not share this with the media. The longer we can fly under the radar, the better. The message was one in a trove of emails obtained by Mother Jones between Deutsch and and representatives of a network of activists and organizations at the forefront of the anti-trans movement. They showed the degree to which these activists shaped Deutsch's repressive legislation, a version of which was signed into law in February, and the tactics, alliances, and goals of a movement that has sought to foist their agenda on a national scale. In messages back and forth, some members of the group pushed Deutsch to make the bill even more restrictive. Bernadette Broyles, the president and general counsel of a Georgia-based law firm called the Children and Parental Rights Campaign, urged him to raise the age threshold to 18. Broyles, who is also affiliated with the conservative Christian legal powerhouse Alliance Defending Freedom, the ADF, warned the other religious right groups warned that the other religious right groups might not support the bill if you start by giving away 16 and 17 year olds right from the outset. Others included Andre Van Mol, a member of a fringe conservative doctors group that calls itself the American College of Pediatricians, ACPEDS, raise their concerns that the bill as written might backfire by accidentally blocking healthcare providers from attempting to change a child's perception of their sex when kids identify as transgender. Deutsch agreed to rewrite the section. At the time, there was little precedent for such bills, and Deutsch's legislation, called the Vulnerable Child Protection Act, was killed in the Senate after doctors showed up at the South Dakota State House to argue they should not be sent to prison for following the medical consensus. Though our session in South Dakota is now over and our efforts to protect gender-confused vulnerable children failed, I continued to receive ugly emails and social media posts, Deutsch complained to the group in March 2020. Please do not say that the South Dakota effort failed, Margaret Clark General Counsel for the Alabama branch of the Phyllis Shafley founded Eagle Forum replied, you successfully inspired, encouraged, and counseled numerous fee cap efforts around the country. You established the ideal witness list that we are still following in our individual states. And most importantly, you connected the connected us all to each other. This is just the beginning. Indeed, Deutsch's bill has proved influential in the recent surge of anti-LGBTQ law making. Um, and a quick uh, summary of some of this is also, uh, at least 18 states have considered containing language closely resembling the text of Deutsch's original bill. Um, and a lot of the emails are showing basically they are kind of using this as a cookie cutter and rubber stamp to just push it in various uh, state bodies. Um, and that is a lot of the basis of this. Um, there are some stats that, uh, are mentioned in the article that I kind of want to read really quickly. Um, they're pretty, uh, horrifying, but it, the article states more than half of transgender and non-binary kids have considered suicide. According to a 2021 survey by the Trevor Project, and 93% say they worry about state laws denying transgender people access to gender affirming medical care. 
Um, and we see this kind of going throughout the various uh, states, uh, especially the red states, um, where the governors are vying for the presidential uh, nominee. Uh, Florida is notoriously pushing these with DeSantis. Um, Texas uh, and Florida seem to be in a competition for how much hurt they can cause. Um, and it's pretty horrifying. So I think it's very important to keep talking about these bills because they are not going away. Um, and all of these things are really linked um, because a lot of this legislation is also behind uh, what took down Roe versus Wade at the Supreme Court. So these groups have really kind of linked through back channels um, and are pushing legislation. Even if it doesn't get passed in their states, they're able to get it to the Supreme Court and have laws enacted on all of us uh, without the majority of people really wanting that. So all of these groups are tied together and it's a scary time for a lot of us. Um, Do you all have thoughts on what's happening? Um, Again, I do recommend going and reading this article. Uh, It's, again, lengthy, but you'll want to read the uh, emails itself. It's pretty shocking. Um, Thank you for sharing that story. Um, I didn't, I have always kind of known that there are special groups that are there to um, put people in more marginalized situations, regardless of what they, you know, regardless of the, the terms and changes that have happened with the laws. But I think it's really disheartening um, when people need whatever kind of care for whatever kind of reason that there's any form of denial for that. Um, I don't think it's, it's right at all. And I definitely think that we should be more uh, vigilant about airing people out about this, because I think what we're seeing right now in this country is everything that was a fixed law is now being turned and all the laws that have been shifted probably within the last 10 years are being turned back state by state. And these smaller groups are the ones that's doing the work in between these larger elections to make sure that there are these large majorities that um, take place in this, that really push the agenda. So it's, you know, it's unfortunate that so many people will be affected by this. And then they turn around and be like, oh, when did this happen? Well, it's happening right now in these small pockets of places, state by state, things are, you know, really getting scary for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just listening to, um, there's a podcast called um, It Could Happen Here, and they had a two-part episode that was all about um, what's happening with anti-trans um, legislation around the country, but also like at these, I think it was CPAC recently, like there were people who openly identify and they will say that they are theocratic fascists. And listening to people applauding the way that these individuals were talking about, like, er- essentially, they're talking about eradicating an entire group of people from society. And it's really like these people take advantage of the fact that there is, in a lot of places, there's like low local involvement and it allows them to get really powerful because then they can send out boilerplate garbage. And there's not that much resistance to it. And then by the time more people become conscious of how bad it is, it's that much more difficult to deal with because now they're already at the point where like it's a bill or it's been signed into law or something like that. And that's so much more intimidating to try to oppose. The CPAC speaker specifically that kind of drew more attention was Michael Knowles. 
That's his name. And they try to play these like word games, kind of like what you were saying, Jasmine, where they're using words that are inflammatory. They bend words and meanings, like we see it with the word woke currently. Like they are using it for nefarious means to demean a group. Um, and they have really set their sights on the trans community um, out of hate. Like there, there is no reason to be ta- attacking trans people other than just to be hateful and bigoted. Um, like we saw it with the rumblings of, um, what is her name? Caster Semina, uh, the uh, runner who was basically disqualified from races because she has high um, testosterone levels. And they say that makes her unqualified to compete with other women because it's unfair, which that leaks directly into anti-trans hate. It's also part of uh, anti-blackness. Like, it's all tied together to oppress people um, and it's being pushed into law so quickly. And it is very scary, um, especially with the Supreme court made up as it currently is with right wing, like maniacs. Um, Things are getting very scary. There are families in Florida who are making plans to escape uh, as things kind of get worse. Same with families in Florida. Like, we're about to have refugees within the country um, of families fleeing because they are under attack. Yeah, I think it's really important for us to pay attention, you know, in between these larger election periods of what's happening. I keep saying that because there's so much in this particular one um, since Biden has been in office that has that has shifted, you know, and is shifting like constantly all the time. So you know, it's really scary for a lot of people. And it, you know, it really goes to show that there is still work to be done. Shit is not all cool on the front. Like just because, you know, we don't have the red faced man in office doesn't mean that his constituents are not doing the work still, you know, so you have to be mindful and also, you know, be an advocate, be an advocate for humanity at this point. Um, I believe in the article they mentioned the name Phyllis Shafley, like there was some organization that she founded and there's a woman on these emails that's in that organization. Phyllis Shafley was 100% like against anything that was for women's rights in this country. You know, when it came to the Equal Rights Amendment, she campaigned and crusaded against that to try to, you know, keep women in a position where they couldn't vote or they didn't need to vote and they should be in the house. You know, these people's goals, if you're a woman, but you don't act or dress a certain way, like you're not a real woman, you know, like that is the extent, like that is their mentality. Like when they say like, I'm a theocratic fascist or I'm a Christo fascist, that means they want to bring the whole world back to like, the 1700s or something like these very restrictive rules that hurt everyone about who is allowed in public life, how you're allowed to dress, how you're allowed to be in the world. And it's scary. It's scary. And it's really, it's upsetting that more people don't see this as a threat on all of us because in their brain, they think it's going to stay within this small group of people that they might not have a personal connection with, but that's not how any of this works. Like they have an agenda and they're focused and they're organized. Like they, it's come up on the show before, but that is a, a tried and true tactic is to start out with a small minority that 
too many people in the country think it's like acceptable to pick on that group. Once they've successfully passed these laws with against that group of people, what do you think will then happen next? And let me speak to the cis gays as a cis gay man myself. Better wake the fuck up because this is some bullshit. The gays who are anti-trans are absolutely uh, mind-boggling to me. They are coming for the community. It doesn't matter how much you think you're on their side. They don't care about you. They think you are repugnant. They think you're an abomination and there's nothing, there's no amount of agreeing with them uh, in their hate that's going to win you a spot on their side. Um, they are coming for same-sex marriage. It's already, bills are already filed to take that down. They are, they came for abortion. They're coming for any abortion pills, any medicine that might even kind of be, uh, pertaining to an abortion contraception um, contraception like, yeah. next step is forcing people to become pregnant like Not it's happening it's already yeah that's their goal like they're starting out it's like rungs on a ladder mm-hmm. yeah roe versus wade fell and like it just kind of fell like without like the politicians aren't gonna save us they're not doing shit um so yeah the community better wake up um the trans community or trans brothers and sisters like need us like they need us now more than ever stand up for them like if you see something say something like you need to stand up be a distraction join them on their side you don't need to like be physical but you can help get people out of the situation there's a lot of bystander trainings that are free online to learn how to intervene in these situations um i know it can be scary but we really have to come together be a community like try to put good out there um and help when you can you know, know what bills and things are being put through, like in your local community. It's because it's easier to do something at that stage versus like once it does go up the ranks. But, you know, very disturbing development. Um, okay. And for our next musical break, uh, this is the Fuji's with Fuji La. Uh, you're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. We used to be number 10, now we permanently won in the battle, lost my finger. Mike became my arm, pistolized, so it's nasal. Blood becomes my form, tell them, my be easy, now I squeeze this summer. Test why clepsy, death flesh gets gone. Beats so bad, make you feel like you ain't wanting to be born, John. And tell your friends, stay that hell like of my lord, chicken George became dead George, stealing chicken from my form. I'm not the dead kitchen. If you're my theosis, then I'm bringing all hate to Cecilia. Nobody shoot me. My body's made a hand grenade. Girl bled to death while she was tucking in the razor blade. That sounds sick, maybe one day I'll ride the horror. Blackula comes to the ghetto. Jackson Acura. Stevie Wonder sees crack babies. Becoming enemies in their own families. I'ma get and come, you know what we soon done. Gun by my side just in case I got the rum. A boy on the side of Babylon trying to front like you're down with Mount Zion. Oh, 
Follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our world news story. All right. This is a March 10th article from the New York Times. The authors are Maria Abi Habib and Natalie Katrof. The title of the article is Criminals in Mexico Violated Their Unwritten Rule, Leave Americans Alone. While Mexicans are often caught in the cartel violence and the outside world barely notices, the criminal groups know that targeting Americans is bad for business. The five men were left prostrate on the sidewalk outside their black pickup truck, their shirts pulled over their heads, bare torsos pressed against the ground, their bound hands spread before them almost in supplication. The handwritten letter on the truck's windshield read like a formal abate chilling the remarkable apology. The Gulf Cartel Scorpion Group was very sorry that their members accidentally shot and killed two Americans and a Mexican bystander while kidnapping two more U.S. citizens. The men were being offered up to the authorities. The letter said, to make amends for disturbing the peace. On Friday, Mexican prosecutors charged the five men in connection with the abduction and killings. While Mexican drug cartels thrive in a vacuum of law and order that persists inside Mexico, there is an unspoken rule that many members of organized criminal groups are careful not to cross. Do not touch Americans. The United States takes attacks on its citizens seriously, and the response to such violence on both sides of the border can be ru ruinous for the Mexican criminal group. When American citizens are targeted, it brings pressure from the U.S. government. They get their security agencies involved and then start putting pressure on Mexico to act, said Cecilia Ferran Mendez, a Mexico security researcher at the University of California, San Diego. The worst thing for the cartels is that they have to dedicate resources to countering Mexican authorities that mostly leave them alone, she added. It's not good for business. Cartels can often outgun the Mexican authorities or simply buy their corporation cooperation, but they know that probing the U.S. government into action can hinder their ability to operate. And in recent years, organized crime has come to rely on the Mexican government's inability to control it effectively. Mexico's president, Andres, Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, came to office promising a new approach to quell violence, avoiding direct confrontation with criminal groups in favor of addressing the root cause of criminality like corruption and poverty. But his strategy, which he branded with the slogan, Hugs Not Bullets, 
has done little to tame extraordinary levels of violence or diminish the ever-expanding power of cartels that traffic drugs and migrants across the U.S. border and terrorize Mexicans at home. In many communities, Mexicans live in fear of criminal groups that commit daily acts of violence that by, the large, that by and large attract little attention outside the country. And while cartels avoid deliberately targeting Americans, their business model rests on shipping narcotics north that have helped fuel an epidemic of drug deaths in the United States. The Biden administration has been reluctant to criticize Mr. Lopez Obrador openly, including over security problems in Mexico, worry and threatening his cooperation on migration. But the attack on four Americans last week became an international scandal, increasing pressure on the U.S. government to do more to combat crime south of the border and eliciting calls from Republican lawmakers to authorize U.S. military force to confront the cartels. The calls prompted an outcry in Mexico, with officials demanding that the U.S. government respect their sovereignty, but also forcing the Mexican government to respond. This week, hundreds of additional Mexican security forces were deployed to Matamoros, the border city where the attack on the four Americans unfolded. That kind of outsized attention is precisely what criminal groups want to avoid, and they have largely left American citizens alone ever since the 1985 abduction, torture, and slaying of Enrique Camarina, a DEA agent who had disrupted cartel operations at the time and drew their bloody ire. Mr. Carmarina's mutilated body was found wrapped in plastic bags on the ranch, on a ranch in western Mexico, his hands and feet bound and his face unrecognizable after multiple blows with a blunt object. It's a, in its quest for justice, the DEA launched Operation Legend, one of the largest homicide investigations undertaken by the agency, which revealed that the Mexican authorities had covered up Mr. Camarina's murder and destroyed valuable evidence. The operation led to the arrest of cartel members and forced others into hiding. The message was clear. Going after American law enforcement agents would have far-reaching consequences for criminals and their accomplices in the Mexican government. Cartels eventually learned that even mistakenly killing U.S. citizens could be costly. In 2019, an organized crime group opened fire on Americans and Mexicans who were driving through the northern state of Sonora, killing three women and six children, part of a Mormon group that lived in Mexico. Some of the victims were burned alive in their cars about 70 miles south of the U.S. border. In the aftermath, several people were arrested, including a Mexican police chief believed to be protecting local criminal groups. The Mexican government claimed the deadly attack could have been a cause of mistaken identity and related to a conflict between two criminal groups vying for control. This week, the Mexican authorities were said to be considering a similar explanation for the kidnapping and slaying of the Americans in Matamoros, investigating whether it was another case of mistaken identity. Those who live in Matamoros, which is part of the state of Tamapules and sits across from the Rio Grande from the southernmost tip of Texas, endure the daily eruption of violence that consumes life here ever since criminal organizations began consolidating control to the city. What happened to the Americans is what they confront every day. Matamoros residents said, while dropping their children off at school, buying groceries, or driving to work. But what made this case different, they said in sorrow and anger, was the immense attention and pursuit of justice it received because of victims' nationalities. So I'll stop right there. Um, this is a really interesting 
understanding of how these groups are controlling the government's response to them and how the government is, uh, the Mexican government is maintaining or trying to maintain some sort of safety for American citizens, but not its own. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think the, uh, first of all, the Republicans who are talking about invading Mexico are off the rockers. Um, like, we have crime within the country that is yet to be addressed, like, everywhere. It's not great. Um, but, like, it is a big problem, especially for the kind of communities that are being terrorized by the cartels. Um, I grew up in southern New Mexico myself, I think three, I want to say three, three and a half hours from the border. Um, and I never, like, had any problems with safety and whatnot. Um, but, again, I wasn't, like, on the border or on a border town necessarily. Um, and it's this weird place where, like, most everyday people, it's not a problem. But then you have these areas and these instances where it highlights the genuine problems. Like I have crossed the border before. Um, and I always kind of heard the stories of like, you need to be careful, like, because you can get taken and like, you absolutely can. Um, and it's scary, but I, I'm not a national security expert. I don't know what our solutions are. Like we need more humane immigration laws, um, and more asylum seekers, um, and a better system for that. But, I, I really don't know what we do. Yeah, the thing about this um, story that stood out to me is the American victims were all black. Like, they were all um, brown to dark-skinned black people. And I do, you know, as someone who has left the country, I do know that, yes, I'm an American, but if you're not talking to me or, like, there's not a reason for a person to necessarily know from looking that I am, they might think I'm a local person or they might assume if I'm not a local of that country, they might make assumptions that, oh, this person is like a migrant from Africa or from the Caribbean or something. And they treat you differently based off of that. So when I saw their pictures and that they were attacked, part of what I thought was like, okay, especially if the cartels have this fear of hurting Americans because they're afraid of what the consequence might be. I think that, you know, the fact that these were black people probably, you know, complicated that, or maybe they did not see them or read them as being, you know, people that the U S would get upset over if something happened. But, um, That's a good like, point. yeah. And like, like Reese, you know, cause Mexico, there are Afro Mexicans, there's black people in Mexico. There's also quite a few Haitian immigrants that are trying to get to the states that are stuck in Mexico. So who knows, you know, what was going through their mind when they saw this particular group of people that led to them getting hurt like this. But um, that being said, like Reese, you were saying, it is really a shame that it's like in their own country, it's okay if, you know, women are disappearing every day, people getting tortured and killed all the time just going about their day-to-day life but there's this extra consideration if it's an american because of what the consequence might be and it's 
I don't know. It's like, I see where the president is coming from because I too am someone who's like, you have to look at root causes of issues and not just deal with it on the other end. But at the same time, like things have gotten so extreme, it seems like where they're essentially replacing the government, it sounds like, as far as control of these places, it's like, you know, and are the people in the government also in the cartel? Like what's really going on? Well, you know, it's it's always a band of criminals, the government, I mean, um, that extend far beyond, you know, the walls of Congress or Parliament or whatever, you know, it's a cooperative, cooperative, uh, cooperative, collaborative effort to be government in general. Um, And I'm speaking a little facetiously, but it's the truth, right? We see this all the time. Um, but it, it is really disheartening because the people of Mexico, like the people that are caught up in this every day, it's like, oh, there's no protections for me, but let me go over here and get some citizenship. I wonder how that feels. Like if you come over here, get citizenship and then go back and now you're an American, <laughs> you know, because you went through the process, like, is it the same, you know, um, does it even feel the same? I don't, I don't know. It's just so many interesting parts of this sort of Robin Hood, like, oh, we didn't mean to, these, <laughs> these people was from our group, but they fucked up. So we gonna give them back to you, punish them now. You know, it just, I, don't, I hate to laugh about it, but it's just, it's very interesting, but it is really sad um, that these people were caught up in the crossfire. They were caught up. I think it was a, it was a shooting, right? That, that um, they were caught up in, it was a shooting that happened. And there was also a Mexican person who was killed in this process as well. Um, but it's, it's just, it's scary. You know, I'm a person who used to travel a lot since I've been in California, I actually have not been to Mexico yet, but thing you know, people go down there all the time and come right back. It's like a day trip, you know, but it's just getting more dangerous in general. Um, and I think as more people start to travel, especially people within the black community, I think there's been a huge increase uh, in travel for the black community within like the last 10 years. You know, these are the type of things if you if you're this is the first time you went or I think they went down there for cosmetic surgery. That was the whole yeah. point of the black people being there, which I a lot of people like because they've been a I think it was like a gift or something like it was some someone had been gifted like to go get it done or something like that. And it was a trip to do the procedure and then it took yeah. this really tragic uh, that was the point i was like thinking of because similar reasons why like my family would have crossed was like access to health care or medical care is cheaper it's not always regulated the same but it is cheaper um pills like access to medications are so much cheaper like you hear about it even happening in the northern border with canada like people will take trips to go get their prescriptions filled because our healthcare system is horrible so, like, it's even a deeper commentary on, like, what's happening in our own country, whereas we're always like, our border is a mess. Like, why were the citizens of your state fleeing to go get, like, health care outside of your country? Clearly, they probably can't afford it. Like, it's expensive and not great. Also, abortion. Shout out to Mexico yep. for recently um, basically decriminalizing um, abortion rights. So that's going to be a whole nother thing of going back to the days of having to cross a border for something like that because of what's happening in Texas and a lot of other places. And, um, yeah. Like those forces then empower the cartels because they're in power. They're running things. Exactly. Like, it's feeding it. It's yeah. It's not great. Yep. Just like even, is out in the open, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, where we got the criminals not out in the open, 
it's just, I don't know. It's, it's so complicated, but uh, prayers up for the families of these victims. Um, you know, I heard one of the dads talking on the news and they, one of the guys who was murdered was like 32, I think. Yeah. And he was just saying like, you know, he going to be my baby forever. And he was just going to, you know, be with his friend, or I don't know if it was his girlfriend or whatever, or sister, but he was just going to accompany her, you know, after the surgery to make sure she could, you know, have somebody to care for her. And this is the story of how it all ended. So uh, really sad um, that this happened in general, but just, yeah, a, a interesting turn of events. I'm sure there's many stories like this, but yeah, something to think about, like who's the, the criminals in front of your face or behind the cloth. Or mm-hmm. they get in a cut some way somehow and just we had we did a story on this a while ago um, but this is in the harvard gazette this article came out in february 2022 uh the note is between 70 to 90 percent of guns recovered at crime scenes in mexico can be traced back to the u.s drug cartels in particular buy those weapons in the u.s mostly texas and arizona and smuggle them across the border who's getting rich off of that you know mm-hmm. uh, i believe it was under the i want to say the obama administration that there was a huge release of like federal weapons to mexico i think yeah um, yeah it we're we're funding it we are the problem <laughs> It's, exactly. it's a big part of it, but, you know, they see it, it's big business when it happens over here, when it's the gun manufacturers making mm-hmm. a killing, literally. But then what's the end result? You got the people on the other side of things that have to suffer because of it. Yep. Um, War is a moneymaker. That it is. Yeah, it's unfortunate. All yeah. right, so... We did a show, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, Before we end, I wanted to say some words. So the actor Lance Reddick, who was born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1962, uh, he was best known as playing Officer Cedric Daniels in the TV show The Wire. He passed away recently on March 17th of Natural Causes. He was relatively young, 60, is very young to pass away. Uh, He had just posted a short video on his social media of him just hanging out with his dogs, having a good time. Uh, Some of his co-stars from The Wire, uh, Wendell Pierce and Isaiah Whitlock, said a few words. Uh, Pierce tweeted, a man of great strength and grace, as talented a musician as he was an actor. The epitome of class. A sudden, unexpected, sharp, painful grief for our artistic family. An unimaginable suffering for his personal family and loved ones. Godspeed, my friend. You made your mark here. Rest in peace. Um, And Isaiah Whitlock wrote, shocked and saddened by the news that Lance Reddick has passed away. Truly heartbreaking. R.I.P., my friend. You will be missed. Godspeed. Uh, so rest in peace to him. He was a great character actor, you know, definitely a very recognizable face and voice. Um, sad that he passed away so soon, um, but happy that he was able to spend his life doing what he loved. And for our last song, uh, this is my favorite version of the Wire theme song. This is the Blind Boys of Alabama with Way Down in the Hole. Have a good week and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye. Bye. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk
the fire and the fury at his command well you don't have to worry if you hold on to Jesus hand we'll all be saved from Satan when the thunder rolls you gotta keep the devil to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.